morning. It's good to be with you. It's fun for me to be able to see the faces of uh, so many people who we love in South Africa. A um, little update on that. It's actually a little old. We have actually completed the boarding school, um, the retreat center, and uh, it's moving forward. The next time I come, we'll have updates. Um, but I'm so excited to be able to be here with you today and to share some of the things that God is doing and some of the ways that the partnership that we have with you all is, is making a difference in the entire nation of Ethiopia. Um, what started in the Cape Flats, that, that community that you saw, the community of Philippi, is the middle of the middle of a three million person urban slum outside of Cape Town in South Africa. Philippi is Samaria. If you go to the surrounding townships and you ask people, you know, we would have people that would find out we're working in Philippi, um, black South Africans, and they would say, You go to Philippi? I don't even go to Philippi because Philippi was literally kind of no man's land with the gangs and the issues it was facing. And out of Philippi, uh, what's risen up has brought transformation not only in that area and the surrounding communities, but it's multiplied into Swaziland. It's multiplied into the Congo. It's multiplied now into Ethiopia. And uh, later this year, we'll be starting in India. And, and it's just a, a great testimony to the fact that God can take any place and accomplish his great purposes. And Eric is the first guy ever who's introduced me, who took me up on my challenge. I've been telling people for years, you know, I'm waiting for the guy to come along who will introduce me and say, you know, this guy's life is a mess. And I don't know why we would let him speak, but here he is. So that's why he said, you'll understand later. I, you know, I normally will throw that out to people and they'll say, yeah, no, I'm not going to introduce you that way. But I, I want to start out just by letting you all know I am not, you know, even though I'm a missionary and I've been a pastor for most of my life, I am not somebody who's had it all together. I'm not somebody who, you know, came from generations of people in ministry. I'm a businessman's kid. I'm not a PK. I'm a BK. Um, I, I grew up, you know, in, in a family that went through some really tough tragedy that ended up leading to me falling away from the Lord for six years of my life. I got into all kinds of stuff that I regret and made a lot of choices, got into, you know, alcohol and drugs. I smoked pot, and unlike one of our previous presidents, I actually inhaled. Um, LAUGHTER Still don't believe him on that one. Um, but what my life has become is living proof that God will take anyone and God can redeem any mess and turn it into good within his kingdom. And it's living proof. Uh, you know, when I first came back to Christ, I remember kind of sensing, well, you know, all these people out there sort of have it together, but I'm probably going to just sort of sit in the back row and maybe I'll be in the upper balcony and sort of tucked away in that dark corner, not being a person who God could really use and who could be a part of his great plan. And I thank God that he said, uh-uh, no way. Anybody who's willing to yield their heart to God, God will use their lives and will bring them in with open arms into his kingdom and into his family. And we get to be a part of his great purposes in our world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, if you have a Bible, open it to the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we, I don't have time to take you through an entire series, uh, but in one verse, I'm going to take you through the book of Ephesians, because I believe Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, encapsulates the entirety of the, the focus of the book of Ephesians and many of the epistles. Um, this has become a life verse for me, and I believe that it's a verse that helps us to understand the kingdom of God in, in sort of a fresh way. I'm, I'm so thankful for this, this verse. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. In in the New American Standard, it says we are God's workmanship. But I think the New Living actually does a better job of bringing that out. The idea is we, you know, God created everything. He created all the mountains, all all the world. He said it was good. But when he created us, when he created humans, he went beyond that. And he, he says that we are like a work of art in his eyes. We are his treasures. And so we, we go through life and oftentimes we sort of beat ourselves up and we feel like, you know, my life's kind of a mess. Or I, I, I view myself as, as being a sinner who just, you know, how could God ever use me? Rather than beginning to understand, no, God has redeemed us. He's transformed us. He's made us new. And the first entire chapter of the book of Ephesians is focused on that, that God has this intention love for you, that he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, that he's washed you and cleaned you and made you new. The first thing that I want to give you as a point, if you want to take notes, is to accept God's radical love. We need to accept God's radical love. Now, I learned this in my life as, as I kind of journeyed along. And our, our journey that God has us on, um, we, we each have a story. And I used to think that, um, you know, that my story, you know, was something that I had a lot of control over. And what I've learned is that our stories are all God's story. And that we fit under the, uh, the bigger umbrella of his great story where he is the main character. And that's what the Bible brings out to us. And, and in this journey that we have, it oftentimes doesn't look like we think it would. Um, if you've kind of wondered about your life and you've looked back and thought, you know, this part of my life's sort of a mess or, you know, these things happen to me and I don't really know how it's going to fit as I move forward. What's it mean for the future? And, you know, as I pray, sometimes it doesn't work out. I understand you. I get it. I know what that's about. And I want to kind of take you on my journey to help you understand what we're talking about today and and God's journey that he has each of us on. So I grew up in a Christian home. Like I said, I sort of fell away from God. But when I rededicated my life to Christ, I was in high school and um, God gave me an amazing opportunity to sort of live a little mini revival in my high school. Uh, I had a a group of friends who just decided they wanted Jesus and nothing else. And we'd all sort of come out of a similar background and realized if God could change us, he could change anybody. And so we started meeting before school every day and just praying. We were praying for the top 10 least likely people on our high school campus to come to know the Lord. We thought, you know, why not start there? You know, God changed Saul. He changed us. God, you know, let's go for it. So we're praying. The guys that were, were tied for the top were Al Tizon and Jim Hands. Al Tizon had started his own religion in our high school. <laughs> you know, marijuana was the sacrament. He, you know, he had this whole, you know, thing and he had all these followers. So he made the top list. Al Tizon is now a seminary professor. He's been a missionary in the Philippines and he's teaching the next class that we're offering at the seminary in Ethiopia. All right. So we got to see God start taking down these people. 55 of our friends accepted Jesus in one year at my high school. It was just radical. People started asking, you know, is our youth ministry a cult? You know, because so many people's lives were being changed. I got to be saved in that and got to see God move in a powerful way. I went to school thinking I was just going to be in youth ministry the rest of my life. But I went to Biola University where when I was there, every Friday was a missionary speaker. And in the course of my four years of college, I was just in awe of the lives that these missionaries live. And I thought, I want to be a part of that. So when I got to my senior year, you know, your senior in college, there's one question that everyone asks, what are you going to do? You know, so I was, mine was so easy. I'll be anywhere except the United States because I was felt called to missions. So anywhere except the United States. When anybody asked me, I didn't know where I was praying about where I was trying to listen 
not a lot coming through. I don't know if you ever like pray and you sort of think, you know, is anybody out there? You know, I'm, I'm praying and nothing's coming through, but God, I knew that he'd kind of put on my heart that that was a desire. So I'm thinking, okay, well, it's going to come. God wants missionaries, right? You know, but I used to pray, God, please send me anywhere except Africa. You know, that was my, the desire of my heart. Thank God that he didn't answer that prayer because some of the greatest times of my life have been there. Praying and praying and praying comes to spring break and I, I take a drive to see one of my mentors. He had discipled me in my junior year. He left Biola and became a, bio, or a pastor in Southern California in the Palos Verdes Peninsula. Went over and saw him. My dream was that I was going to go to the mission field for a couple of years and then come back and work with him. But I didn't want to tell him that because that'd be a little too forward. So he said, dream with me. And I said, well, I want to go to the mission field. I want to raise support. You know, come back and be under someone who I want to be mentored by, you know, while I go through seminary. I got done and he said, now dream with me, Dennis. He said, Dennis, I, I want to move my high school guy into college ministry and I'd like you to come and be on staff here at Rolling Hills Covenant Church. And I, I started laughing. I, I just thought, oh my gosh, God is trumping my plan. This is why he's not showing me where he's taking me. I want to go to the mission field and he's going to take me 40 minutes from my school, you know? And Gordon said, what do you think? And I said, Gordon, I can't respond to that. I said, I've told everyone for a year, I'm going to be any place except the United States. He goes, just pray. By the time I got out of the parking lot of the church to go back to school, I was in hysterics. I was laughing my head off because I knew God had trumped my plan. I knew I was going to be his youth pastor, you know, and I ended up spending eight years in Palos Verdes. In my seventh year of, Palos, of being there as a youth pastor, um, two of my high school students had gone up to Santa Barbara to go to school. Uh, they met this, this college director, beautiful young woman named Susan. Um, and some of you know where this is going. You know, she ended up becoming my wife. But um, Susan, they, they fixed us up. And, and Susan, the first time we had a deep conversation, sat down with me and she said, you know, I, I should probably tell you, you know, I don't want to live in the United States. And I don't really care if I ever have kids and I don't ever want to own a home. I had been telling that to girls for a decade. You know, you want to you sort through the, the riffraff in your dating life? You tell that to girls, okay? <laughs> you know, because I was like, you know, I ought to be up front with them. So like on the first date, I'd be like, you know, I don't want to own a house. I don't care if I have kids and I don't want to live in America. And most girls are like, see ya, you know, <laughs> have a good life. Good luck in that one. Um, Susan said those three things to me. There's no way she knew that. And what do you say when somebody does that? You'd be like, oh, me too. You know, there's no way I was going to say that. She'd be like, yeah, right. So she says it. And I, I looked at her and just went, wow. And she said that her thought in her mind at that point was, I just broke this poor youth pastor's heart. You know, this guy's thinking there's no way this is going to work out. I took off from Santa Barbara, drove home, stopped on the, the road there. For those of you that know the 101 on, on the big rocks that are before you get to Ventura and just prayed. I was like, I found my wife. This is awesome. You know, and I um, was so excited because we had this similar heart. So the two of us shortly after that get married, we're heading toward the mission field. We go, well, I left out one little detail. Five weeks after we got married, she was pregnant. Um, and then we go to Urbana. We're thinking, we're going to the mission field. This is going to be so exciting. What a blast, you know? People at Urbana, they're just looking for anyone with a pulse to go to the mission field. It's hundreds of mission organizations, 20,000 college students. We are two adults in full-time ministry, and no one calls us back. They don't know anything about us. They have no reason to reject us. God shut the door. We thought it was, a, you know, the early 90s and the, the Eastern Bloc was coming apart and we thought we're going to Russia. We named our daughter Tasha. <laughs> it was a constant reminder of our God's sense of humor. And, um, and we were, you know, we're ready to go. 
And God does not open the door. And we're knocking and knocking. And he's saying, no, no. And finally, we crack a door open, just crack a door open to say, you know what, God? We'd be willing to, to see what it would be like to kind of start a church built around small groups. And, and within a couple months, we're in Santa Barbara and I'm a senior pastor. I never wanted to be a senior pastor. And I'm in, I'm in Santa Barbara as a senior pastor saying, I want to be a missionary. Other pastors are coming up to me saying, how did you get a church in Santa Barbara? And I said, it's easy. You aim for Russia. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I didn't try to get this church. You know, I just want to go to Russia, you know? So anyway, God's sense of humor. If you look back at your life and you feel like, you know, I've gone this way and it hasn't worked out or I've gone this way. In 2001, Time Magazine, we read Time Magazine and it just broke our hearts. The February edition, there was a, a magazine with a photo journal on the AIDS pandemic and it broke our hearts. And we just thought the body of Christ has got to get into this. You know, rather than the body of Christ being 10 steps behind, the body of Christ needs to get out on the front end. And so we started emailing everybody we could over in South Africa. We picked South Africa because there were more people there with AIDS than any country on earth. Um, at that point, 5.3 million in a population of 43 million. And so we thought, all right, we'll go there. Had a tough time finding anyone that was open to us coming. When we finally found some people, um, we took off, and it was September 10th, 2011, which put us in Atlanta boarding our flight on September 11th, 2011. And so we're there in Atlanta stuck and praying. And, you know, I'm a senior pastor. Should I go back to my church? I'm calling my church leaders. You know, what do you want us to do? They said, if God opens the door, go. And on the 13th, they opened some airports, not all around the nation, for four hours and then shut them all down again. And one plane left the nation on September 13th, and it was a South African air flight with our family and another pastor and some of the people from our church on a short-term team going over there. And through it, as crazy as all of that was, what God showed us is, I am opening this door. And my plans are not your plans, and my ways are not your ways, but I am a God who wants to bring about transformation, and, and, and I'm in this. The, the, the God of the universe, he loves us, and he loves us, and he loves us, and he loves us, and we are his masterpiece. If you do not buy into that, if you do not understand that, if you have bought the lie that you are just a dirty, rotten sinner who's saved by grace, I, I implore you, do whatever it takes to get deep within your soul the healing message of the love of the living God for you. He loves you so much that he sent his son. His son gave his life because of the blood of Jesus that was shed on your behalf. He's thrown your sin as far as the east is from the west. He says he's buried it under the sea. He says he's placed it behind his back and he says he remembers it no more. That means God has chosen to forget your sin. That sin that he's chosen to forget, just to let you know, is past, present, and future. And that's why in the book of Romans, it says that you have been given the very righteousness of God. You're clean and you're washed and you're pure. And when God looks at you, he sees his beloved. And the very first thing I guarantee you, if, if we're called to love God with our, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the number one thing that the enemy wants to do is to not let us enter into that love relationship. And so we have got to do whatever it takes. Get a small group of people around you. If you don't believe this, if you are not living in a place where you know how loved you are by God, the whole beginning part of, of Ephesians, get in and dig through it and understand what God has done for you. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a free gift of God, not as a result of works that anyone can boast. You cannot do anything to buy your salvation. Jesus paid for your salvation. And with it, you've been given the full measure of God's love. Don't miss that. If you struggle with it, there's a book by Neil Anderson 
that's called Victory Over the Darkness. And I encourage you, read that book. There's another one called Bondage Breaker. Um, there's another one called Who I Am in Christ. And if talk to me afterwards or shoot me an email. There's flyers on our little table out there. Um, and I'll get you connected with those. But they're great resources to dig through and work through your past issues to set you free and to live in God's love. You are in a place where you've been given the radical love of God. You have to accept that. With that, the next point, I want to call you to embrace God's radical plan. It says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Not only are we given God's love, but God looks at us and says, I'm going to make everything in your life new. And not only am I going to make everything in your life new, but I'm going to allow you to be a part of making new the lives of others. And every single day of our life, we have a calling. There is not a single day that you will wake up, your eyes will open, and you'll, you'll look out into your first day that the God of the universe isn't sitting there saying, oh man, I want to do some stuff today. And we look at our lives and go, man, there's so many days that are just kind of blah, and I'm going through the motions, that ordinary life song that was, you know, the starting of our service. We look at our lives and think, you know, it doesn't fit together. God wastes nothing in our lives. When my wife was at home with our kids and we're thinking, we just want to go to the mission field and God's saying, no, I've got you in Santa Barbara for a reason. Just to keep her, her ministry mind occupied, she started taking up all these little crafting things and you know, she was a mom at home with kids, which I believe for you who are parents with young children is one of the toughest seasons of your entire life. You know, when people would come up to me and say, oh, that little baby, this is the best time ever. I was like, what have we done? We're insane. Why would we ever have another one of these? All right, I am a living testimony that it gets better and better and better and better. I now have a 20, almost 20-year-old 20 on Wednesday, um, 18 and 15. And I tell you, man, it is so much more fun now than it's ever been. I know there are those of you that love babies. God forgive you. Um, <laughs> My wife and I, neither one of us were baby people. So it was really hard. Like, you take the kid. No, you take the kid. You know, it was hard. Anyway, we were so excited when they grew up. Yes. Um, God wants to create all things and make all things new in and through you, even your love for little children. So um, God wants to work in us and he wants to work through us and he wants to, to use us to make a difference. My wife's doing all these little crafts and everything. She's thinking, you know, this is just this crazy time and I just have to get through it and I have to occupy my mind. We got to South Africa, the first felt need that they had. We went in to help with AIDS, but we learned a model of development that taught us we need to help the people to help themselves and we have to begin with what they see as the greatest need. The greatest need they picked in South Africa when we got in there was um, unemployment. And so we said, what can you do? What are your skills? And the next thing you know, my wife is taking all of the skills that she learned doing those crafts and turning them into micro-businesses. And God didn't waste a thing. And she's looked back so many times and said, that period of my life, God used to build the kingdom. I just needed to hang on. I just needed to wait. He had a plan. God wants to use you to bring about change. My, my all-time favorite quote in Time Magazine in the last 12 months, um, Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop from South Africa and the Anglican Church, was interviewed, and he shared just kind of his heart's journey, and, and he was one of the freedom fighters in, in apartheid, standing against the flow of, of the minority of the country that was crushing down and oppressing the majority, 85% of the country. And he said, that's the chief lesson that I've learned the texture of our universe is one where there is no question at all, but that good and laughter and justice will prevail. 
And I read that and I thought, man, this is, this is from a guy who's just had such a tough life and so many challenges and so much difficulty and wave after wave after wave. And he said he's learned the texture of our universe is one where there's no question but good and laughter and justice will prevail. On September 25th, 1977, 16 years before the end of apartheid, Desmond Tutu stood before a crowd of 15,000 people at the funeral of a freedom fighter named Stephen Biko. And in front of this huge crowd, 17, 16 or 17 years before the end of apartheid, he declared that white rule in South Africa was finished. He said, the powers of injustice, of oppression, of exploitation have done their worst and they have lost. Can you imagine declaring it done when he knew they were still in the midst of the battle? Declaring it done when you look to the left and you look to the right and all you saw was oppression. When all you saw, I mean, these guys, when they would get their, their communities built up, bulldozers would come in and plow them down. Philippi was started. Nobody wanted to live in Philippi because of all the deadly snakes. The Cape Flats has awful, deadly cobras. You know, when we bought our property, the day before we took over at Bridges Academy, the woman said that it was selling us the property. There's a couple other things I should tell you. <laughs> the cobra does this. And I'm like, Cobra? <laughs> I think we'd like to give this back. <laughs> and, um, you know, in the Cobra, if it bites you, you have 40 minutes before your um, nervous system shuts down if you don't get the anti-venom. Um, anyway, it's, it's a nasty, nasty set of snakes in there. So anyway, they, they took over this piece of property. They got pushed there because they started getting organized in another community called Crossroads. And, and when the communities got to where they were organized, they'd come in and they'd plow them down and force the people to go rebuild their lives in another area. In the midst of that, 17, 16, 17 years before the end of apartheid, he stands up and declares it done. The powers of injustice, oppression, and exploitation have done their worst, and they have lost. They have lost because they are immoral and wrong, and our God is a God of justice and liberation and goodness. Our cause must triumph because it is moral and just and right. Think about the faith that it took to do that. That's what God wants from us. God wants us to look out at the problems in our society. God wants us to look out in the brokenness in our world. He wants us to look out and to see, you know, what are the things that move your heart? Is it child trafficking? Is it, is it you know, people that are struggling with different issues of poverty? Is it prostitution? Are there issues in your own community that you look out? You see marriages that are struggling and, you know, issues where, where, where the body of Christ has the potential to heal. We need to look out and not say, oh, this is too hard. We need to look out and say, God, what do you want to do to end this? Because I know you want to end in this, and you will. He's a God of justice. Tutu went on to say, God is not even-handed. God is biased, horribly in favor of the weak. The minute an injustice is perpetrated, God is going to be on the side of the one who is being clobbered. God wants to do it. When I was a high schooler, God did this great thing with all our friends, started changing all these lives, and they started letting us as high schoolers teach each other on Wednesday nights at our Bible study. And my, my buddy Buzz wanted to teach one night, and um, Buzz, we asked Buzz, what are you teaching on? He goes, I'm teaching on the book of Revelation. I'm like, what on the book of Revelation? He goes, the whole thing. <laughs> like, Buzz, it's a 30-minute Bible study. He goes, no, it's not going to take long at all. I have lots of extra time for worship. I'm like, Buzz, what are you talking about? I'm teaching on the whole book of, uh, you know, book of Revelation. He goes, no, no, no problem. Buzz gets up. Worship ends, great little worship set, and Buzz goes, God wins. He goes and sits down. <laughs> That's it. He goes, the book of Revelation summed up. God wins. We are on the winning team. It's over. Sat down. 
That's what Tutu's trying to say. Never, never, never fear. Never give up. Never get lost in the fact that that there's giants around us. When we went to South Africa and started dealing with AIDS, people would say, aren't you just overwhelmed? There's millions of people. And we said, no, because God wants to end this. And he doesn't only want to end this. He wants to redeem this. I could tell you story after story of the miracles that God did to give us the tools that we needed to be able to accomplish what he desired to accomplish. God's going to give us what we need to do what he wants us to do. The the next slide says, Tutu's secret is no secret at all. It is faith. Good and laughter and justice will prevail. In the end, the perpetrators of injustice, of oppression, the ones who strut the stage of the world, often seem unbeatable. There is no doubt at all that they will bite the dust. Amen? Amen. God is going to triumph, and we need to step out, and we need to trust him. The final thing there in that verse is so that we can do the good things that he has planned long ago. We need to engage in God's radical journey. Every one of our lives, God has a journey. He's got a plan. And before time began, this is one of the amazing things about God. Before time began, before you were born, the God of the universe was looking at your life saying, this is what I want to do through that child who I love so much. I've created that child for a purpose. I've got plans and visions and hopes and dreams. And he doesn't force us, but he allows us to choose his plan. Am I willing to step out in faith? That brings me to my balance beam. Um, you were hoping I was going to do the uh, like flying mount and the flip and all that stuff. Sorry. Um, I was in a Bible study on Wednesday night. You can tell right now this is not my comfort zone. And um, my small group was led by a, a doctor in Santa Barbara, and he showed us a clip from Francis Chan. And Francis had a balance beam, and the clip fits so well with what I was going to teach that I immediately called Eric and, on Thursday or sent him an email and said, Eric, can you get me a balance beam? And I watched it again this morning, and Francis Chan's balance beam was about a foot or a foot and a half shorter than mine. So I think he's kind of a wimp. But anyway, um, this illustration, it's basically that, you know, God's called us to live this life. We're called to live a life where we're, we're walking by faith, where it's not easy. It's, it's not something that we have it all together in. And and life comes along and stuff starts happening and we start to question, you know, God's goodness. Is is he going to, you know, make it look like I think, you know, people tell us when we come to the Lord that God's got a wonderful plan for our life. But I came to the Lord when I was six years old. My sister led me to Jesus. A year later, my sister, we found out, had a brain tumor. And within three months, we lost her. Three months after that, my grandpa went to be with the Lord. He had given his life to Christ in his final three months as a result of my sister's testimony. I ended up drifting away from God and getting into the mess that I already told you about. And then when I was in college, um, we found out my mom had cancer and I lost my mom as a college student. And we look at the difficulties of life, or maybe we get out and we start walking by faith. You as a church have had an amazing faith journey. Since meeting Dave and Eric, I've told the K2 story so many times. I love your story. I love that 50 people would pack it up and, and move to Salt Lake City from another state and allow themselves to, to, to go to that distant land and say, God's, God's going to do this thing and how God has blessed that. You've stepped out. But even though we sometimes step out, sometimes, you know, we get scared and, and we don't really know what to do. And we kind of realize, you know, maybe, maybe I just need to kind of sit this one out and... You know, our, our routine, instead of being flips and great moves and all that, it gets to be a little bit more like, okay, I'm hanging on, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, God, I'm not really sure about this, and, 
you know, I, I think I'll go to church and, you know, maybe I'll give a couple percent or something. You know, I don't want don't to risk too much. Um, out of guilt, I might end up working in the nursery. You know, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't want to do anything too scary with my life. And, you know, my biggest prayer, boy, I just, I pray every night. I just pray that God will take me in my sleep. That it'll be completely painless and then this life will be done. And then one day I'll be sleeping, you know, all wrapped up and I'll get up there before the judge and go, yes, yes. But think about that. Think about if, you know, you're there and you're watching the Olympics and somebody jumps up on the beam and, you know, they start out great, but the next thing you know, they're, they're wrapped around the thing, you know, and they jump off before the judges and the judges are looking at each other like, what do we do with that? You know, what, what do you score that thing like? We live a safe life if we, if we think, you know, I'm not going to take any risks because who knows, maybe God will call me to Africa. If God calls you to Africa, I've got great news. You're going to love it. It's going to be, it won't be easy, but I tell you, if God calls you, go, go wherever he calls you. There is no life like the, being in the middle of the will of the living God. And we need to not live a life that's safe and secure and easy. We need to live a life that is about building his kingdom. That's what we were wired for. That's what we were created for. We're loved. We're we're to be transformed into his image. And then we're to be set apart to bring about his great purposes. I went over and uh, checked out the fun dome yesterday. Eric took me over and we looked at that. And I tell you, all I could do after we kind of walked around and kind of peeked in and everything was just pray and claim that thing for the kingdom of God. And I don't know if God wants it for K2. Your leaders have to figure that out. But I tell you, if they feel like God's taken them that direction, back them and jump into that. Because one way or another, I ask you, I, I beg you, when you drive past it, claim that thing for the kingdom. Claim that to be a place that God would take from being an empty building to a place that would help change this state and our nation for the Lord Jesus Christ. That has so much potential. And I just got fired up. I was, you know, thinking... We'll start doing Che out of there. You know, anyway, it'll be fun to see what God does. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a vision and a plan and a desire for your life. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous. I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That was a covenant that God made to Abraham to say, I, I as God, I, I love you. I'm going to bless you. I believe in Ephesians. What we learn again is that God has lavished his blessing on us, not so that we can be safe and secure and go, woohoo, this is a great life, but so that we can in turn be a blessing to others. And we need to constantly be saying, God, who do you want to bless through me? Who do you want to reach through me? Who do you want me to be a tool in your hand to see transformation happen? And then at the end, we'll get before God and we'll hear, well done my good and faithful servant. He wants us not just to play it safe and and live a clean life. He wants us to step out and trust him and live his life for us. And it could get messy. It may mean digging up some of the stuff in your past. If you've got a bunch of stuff in your past that you just live hoping nobody will ever find out about, get it out in the open and let God use it. One of the greatest things you can do is let God redeem the past. I was finishing a message one time in this student came down, a college student came down from UCSB and he said, man, I, this is great. I love the service. I thought this is cool, but I'm just nothing like these people. 
you know, these people, they got it together, man. And I, he told this story and I've gotten into this and I'm a partier and I've done drugs and blah, blah, blah. And the guy looked at me and I said, you know, that's, that's my story too. And he goes, no SHIT. I said, yeah, no SHIT. You know, he goes, that's your story. I said, yeah. And he said, but you're the pastor. <laughs> and I said, I know you'll probably end up being one too. You know, it's like, just wait, you know, it's like God, God loves to redeem our lives from the pit. It's his MO. Let me take the messed up person, redeem all that stuff, turn it into gold, and let that person's life change other people and change this world. Amen. God wants to do this in and through your life. Let me give you one last quote, and it's out of Jeffrey Sachs' book, The End of Poverty. He says, Great social forces are the mere accumulation of individual actions. Let the future say of our generation that we sent forth mighty currents of hope and that we worked together to heal the world. May that be said of this generation. I believe God is raising up in this, in this generation youth and, and adults who, who are beginning to look at the world through different eyes. I believe what God is doing through you all, and oh man, I'm over time. Um, I want to tell a couple of Ethiopia stories. Do I have permission? is at work, I want to give you two things to think about. Worship team is going to come up and you're going to have a little time to reflect. But two things, and I call this food for action. It's not food for thought. It's to say, what am I going to do with this? And the first thing is, how can I accept God's radical love for me? How can I accept it? Am I willing to say, I, I, you know, I don't feel loved. I might feel like a sinner, but I'm going to accept that God calls me a saint. I'm going to accept that God calls me clean. I'm going to accept that God calls me his beloved. And I'm going to embrace that. And I'm going to get other people around me that help me understand and get that into my life. And secondly, how can I live out God's radical plan for my life? What are you going to do to say, I'm going to take a step of faith. And I I want to give you an opportunity. Um, Just reflect on those right now. But I'll give you an opportunity after after this song um, to put into action, to take a step of faith, to say, I'm willing to give God everything. I'm willing to trust him with all I have and all I am and to yield it up to him.